We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, November 10th, following the Bears' loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, on Monday Night Football. It was a wild ride, Usaid, uh, but before we get into th- that game and, and our topics for today, uh, how you doing today, man? And you know, what were some of your thoughts on that game on Monday night? Yeah, well, first things first, I'm personally doing well, but the game on Monday night was, I think, up and down. It was about as much of a Bears game. It was as Chicago Bears as I think it could get because you look at this thing. I mean, the Bears had an abysmal first half. It seemed like they could get nothing going. The Steelers looked like the better team in the first half, but then second half, I think that everything completely changed, right? I mean, you go back and you look at the numbers and you're realizing, okay, Justin Fields had about 10 yards per pass attempt, but then also the Bears had, what, 21 points in the fourth quarter? I get 14 of those came from the offense, seven of those came from the um, special teams, but ultimately it's just like the positive in that is, hey, when's the last time that we looked at a uh, Bears game and said, okay, there were 21 points that were scored in the fourth quarter. Now looking at fields, I mean, I think easily, and we said this last week, last week we thought against the 49ers was his best game. I thought that this week was by far the best performance that he's had since entering the NFL as a rookie. And I think that this Steelers game where he was 17 for 29, 291 yards, a touchdown and an interception, which you could argue was his fault but wasn't his fault what happens is this right here was one of the key games of his rookie season that he's going to want to go back and look at and say okay what did I do right what did I do wrong because I think that anytime you put up a strong performance like Justin did on Monday night it goes to show okay that that's a game film and that's some all 22 and some tape that you want to go back and you want to look at because it's going to tell you a lot more about who you are as a quarterback 
Yeah, absolutely. I think there are two main things or two main storylines really to take away from this game. And, you know, we got, again, you, you mentioned it right there, Justin Fields, he's definitely the first one to come from that. Uh, he played like a franchise quarterback in this game, putting the team on his back late in this one, making big plays, extending plays with his leg, making a bunch of big time throws, especially in that second half. I mean, uh, you know, you talk about a couple of the most impressive ones that with that one throw we had to Jimmy Graham uh, in the seam where he just threw a laser under pressure there. Uh, the one fade ball he had to Allen Robinson or the slot fade he had to Allen Robinson on that third and two play. Uh, and then that the touchdown he had to Darlin Lilly was just special stuff rolling out. And like you said, I mean, the interception on him, I do not put that whatsoever on Justin Fields. That was just a great play by Cam Hayward. There's really nothing he could have done to change that play, I guess. I mean, maybe throw it somewhere else, but like, what can you do? The defensive lineman gets his hands up at the perfectly right time. And the ball just happens to bounce right into his like lap, basically. Like as a quarterback, there's really nothing you can do about that when that happens. So even the interception wasn't really on his fault. And, you know, what was impressive watching Justin Fields, and we covered this with Zach on the Bearport podcast to a lot more detail um, than this, but uh, just his, his command of the offense in that second half, because there was not a lot going right for this Bears team in this game. I and mean, you talk about, you know, the defense, they were kind of having their struggles against a really porous uh, Steelers offense. You know, one of the worst offensive lines in football, a washed up Big Ben Roethlisberger. We saw a couple of times where Big Ben uh, just couldn't get the mustard on that on, the, on a couple of those throws uh, in this game. Um, so that was certainly a, a struggle for a banged up unit there. Uh, the running game wasn't really getting going in this one. And then offensive lines issues, offensive line issues, I should say, where, you know, Justin Fields was under quite a bit of pressure in this game against a really good pass rush. We look at TJ Watt um, and Cam Hayward. But the second thing I wanted to talk about, you said, because again, we talked a lot about Justin Fields and how special he was in this game. And he was special. And we'll get a little bit more to that, I think, as we go on to this podcast, because we got a little bit of a special uh, you know, topic for this one today. Uh, but in terms of ending this, conver- you know, continuing the conversation for this game here, I wanted to talk about really the second main storyline. And that was the officiating in this game. And normally I'm not the guy that wants to blame officiating for why your team loses. I don't think that's the case here. I think the bears lost for a variety of reasons. You know, you talk about some of the undisciplined uh, nature of, you know, this team, you know, in the first half, their offense can do anything. And a lot of that is just on the bears, you know, not looking prepared. Once again, this coaching staff, not having this team prepared. It's, it's a common theme for this team throughout this season and really, in past years as well, over the last two to three years, where this, they just can't be on the same page, it seems like for uh, all four quarters, it's always a problem with them. Um, offsides, late in the game, discipline issues, you know, all that stuff definitely hurts you, certainly, in this one. And when you and when you look, make Big, Big Ben look like he's a serviceable quarterback at this point in his, in his career and your pass rush can't do anything against a porous offensive line, I, yeah, those are all reasons why the Bears lost this one. But – Again, we have to talk about the officiating in this game because it was I'll, I'll let you go first before I really like rant on this, you say, because I really I, I'm I'm ready to just completely like rip into these guys, but it was ridiculous all the bad calls that we saw in this game that specifically went against the Bears. What were your thoughts on just, just some of the laughable officiating that we saw in this game? Well, I think 
this game really exemplified and showed that the NFL's got a referee problem. And I said that a couple of weeks ago when the Bears hosted the Packers because there were a lot of bad and questionable play calls that went against the Bears in that game as well. But ultimately, there's two ways to look at this. Number one, let's acknowledge this. When you have 12 penalties for 115 yards, you probably don't deserve to win the game. And you probably shouldn't win the game. That's what exactly what the Bears had, and they ended up losing. But also, the second thing to keep in mind here, and I think the second point is even greater, is that it's like the big issue this year is the taunting penalty right the taunting rule and so it's like the old what is a catch was what's a catch rule right so it's it was like 10 years ago it's like what's a catch what isn't a catch and now they kind of clarified it and they're like okay you have to have control of the ball you have to have taken three steps the deal with this whole taunting thing is that we don't know what's taunting we don't know what's not taunting right there's no set definition there's no writing in place and again you've had head coaches around the league like take for example Mike Tomlin who have kind of come out and say hey look you know what we don't need any trash talking or any of that in the game and I think the problem with that is that number one trash talking is a part of football but number two it's basically unavoidable right Mike Tomlin's one of those guys that he's the type of head coach that's been really successful in the NFL but it's also because even when the Steelers haven't had the best rosters he's also been really good at emphasizing details as well as discipline. Now, ultimately, when you look at this taunting rule, you look at the reps on Monday night. I mean, it was a complete mess, man. I mean, look, Robert Quinn, I think, had like two back-to-back penalties in the fourth quarter. Some which you could argue like, okay, those weren't even offsides. You had a couple of instances and scenarios where it was just like the Bears had the one touchdown that was wiped off the board that would have actually given the Bears the lead too. All right, after two more touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but it was just like James Daniels, I believe was called for like a chop block. And it's just like, okay, was that really a chop block? Were there instances where, okay, you could look at it and say, yeah, he was going too low and driving into the legs of a player, the lower legs of a player, or was it just merely James Daniels making a smart play and clearing the way for um, Justin Fields, as well as I believe it was Cole Komet who, was going to get the touchdown pass for David Montgomery. And so it's just like you look at these things and you realize, okay, the refs kind of did cost the Bears this game. And if you're the NFL, you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, we need to look at this tape from this specific game in week nine. And we need to go back and we need to review what went right, what went wrong. Why were some of the calls called the way that they were? And I think that for those of our listeners that haven't seen NBC Sports Chicago's very own Adam Hogue, he had a one-on-one interview with Tony Carinti after the game and the whole Cassius Marsh taunting penalty. I thought that was interesting because there's some people saying that Marsh bumped into Tony Carrenti as a way of kind of, and then Tony Carrenti gave him the flag or flagged the Bears, which gave the Steelers new life. But then also it was just like, I didn't think Cassius Marsh was even taunting. He was just doing a normal celebration and he just so happened to be looking at the Steelers sideline. And so now it's just like, it's almost like there's this added layer of so if a player is looking towards an opposing team sideline while celebrating a sack, we should consider that taunting too. And then I haven't even laid into a lot of the calls that should have been roughing the passer penalties that Justin Fields got hit on. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, there, there was so much bad in this game. Like, I don't mean to hyper, be, be hyperbolic here. I, I try not to be hyperbolic, um, I mean, whether it's on my Twitter takes or whether it's on this podcast or whether it's my writing. I try to be as level-headed and as fair and objective as possible in my analysis. But, I mean, my goodness. I, I, it's almost to the point – it was so bad that it's almost to the point where I don't think Tony Carrente and his crew should be officiating a game the rest of the season. That's how bad this was. And I'll, I'll start with the taunting penalty because the NFL should be ashamed of, the, of themselves with this new taunting rule this year, because no one wanted this. Nobody. I can't name you a single person outside of a couple of old out of touch owners that thought this was going to be a good idea because it's completely ruining and taking the fun or the, the intent of the rule is to take the fun out of the game. And let's just give some context to this Cassius, Cassius Marsh taunting penalty because Cassius Marsh, okay, so he was on the Pittsburgh Steelers earlier this year and got cut by the Steelers. So this is a big game for him going up against a team that cut him earlier this year. Cassius Marsh gets on the practice squad this week for the Bears, gets elevated to the roster. I think it was either the day before the game or the day of the game, basically. Um, and it's a, it's a big game for him, obviously, because you know this is a team that cut him in the offseason. Obviously, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder because of that. The Bears bring him in because they need some extra edge help with Cleo Mack and some of the other, other injuries they have there. And he comes in late in the game. The Bears, they're you know down by one score. They're trying to get back into this game here. You know They need one stop and to give their offense a chance to drive down the field and either tie or win the game with a field goal or a touchdown, respectively, uh, with about, I think it was with three and a half minutes left to go in the game. And Cassius March makes the play of the game gets a big sack on Ben Roethlisberger. And what does he do? All he does is just stare at the bench. All he does is stare at the bench. And you mentioned, you know, Carenti hip-checking, basically, Cashy's Mars. Like, it, there was so much weird, so much weirdness there with that entire situation. And, and of course, Carenti tried to clarify that, oh, he threw the flag because of, you know, Marsh was staring down the sideline. Well, Marsh, if you look at, you know, the, what the rule is intended for the, the spirit of the rule is so that, like you said, you know, you don't have much, any like trash talking going on. Players are escalating situations where to where they're throwing blows at each other. That's kind of the spirit of the, of the rule to kind of prevent some of that stuff right there. But a guy staring down a bench after getting a huge sack late in a close game against his former team. Like, what are we doing here? Wh who wants to see a penalty for that? And just the timing of it, where you can clearly see on the, on the replay, Carenti waits for Marsh to run into him, not even run into him. Mar uh, Carenti initiates the contact, from my vantage point at least, and then he throws the flag and he holds, holds it there. Like he just shot a three-point jump shot. I saw somebody comment like that, where he, he held it there after he threw the flag, like he, just like he was Michael Jordan um, in the 98 finals, sinking that game-winning shot against the Utah Jazz. That's what it looked like ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and you know did it cost that did that 
penalty specifically cost the Bears the game? No, because Justin Fields, they went down, they scored and got the lead anyway. The defense, at the end of the day, they have to get the stop. I completely understand that. But you know what it did do? The Steelers were able to get into field goal range because of that penalty. They were able to knock off a couple more minutes of clock because of that penalty. And it, it, it set the events for the rest of the game where it was in the Steelers' favor from that point on. It was just completely ridiculous. And they have to address this taunting issue because it is ruining the game at this point. You're putting way too much power into the hands of the officials. And it just, it just, it was a game where it felt like the officials were trying to make the game about them instead of the players determining the outcome of the game. And that's just something where I just, I can't sit by and just let that go as a fan. Like even like Packers fans and Steelers fans were like on social media saying like, Hey, this is kind of suspicious here. It's, this is not right. The officiating is a huge problem in like favor of the Steelers in this game. And it was ridiculous. And then you look at you know the James Daniels penalty. What's Oh, one more thing I'll add about the taunting penalty before we move on to the James Daniels penalty. I want to bring up the TJ Watt sack earlier in the game uh, where TJ Watt got a sack. If you actually look at the replay of one of TJ Watt's sacks, he actually points right at Larry Borum, who he beat on the play to get the sack or didn't really beat on the play to get the sack, but he points at Larry Borum as if, you know, how is that not taunting? So it's taunting if you're staring at a sideline from 30 yards away, but it's not taunting if you're five yards away and pointing at alignment after you get a sack off of him. Where's consistency here? What are we doing, NFL? Get it right. But anyway, uh, you talk about the James Daniels penalty. That's another one where James Daniels, one, doesn't even touch TJ Watt. Two, he was in the legal zones where he could do a block like that. Just mind numbing. It takes a touchdown off the board for the Bears there. And then they have some other questionable ones where Roquan Smith was called offside where that was questionable. Um, you know, the defensive pass interference by Jalen Johnson later on in the game. I thought that was I thought that was not a defensive pass interference. I don't know if you want to comment on that. I'll let you uh, talk about that before we kind of move on here. But just like there was just so much weirdness. And to cap it off all off, it was debatable that TJ Watt might have been offsides on the final play of the game uh, on the final field goal attempt by Cairo Santos. If you look at like a certain a couple of certain shots of the film there and you kind of freeze frame it, you can see TJ Watts or a Steelers player's helmet right over the line of scrimmage there. And it's like you called all these offsides penalties on the Bears all game. Where's consistency here? So I'll, I'll let you talk about one more time if you have anything to add there. But I'm, as you can tell, you said, I am livid with what transpired on Monday night with all that stuff. Yeah, look, it, the referee was really like me and you both mentioned. I mean, he was all over the place to the point where it's like, if you're the Bears right now, you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, you're calling up New York, you're looking at this game tape, and you're basically requesting, I think, a full review of Tony Carrenti and his crew to really see, okay, what went wrong. Now, I understand that to make a call in the moment, and I think that this is always the way things go in the NFL, where it's like hindsight's 2020, right? So it's like, there's a call that's made in the moment, it ends up hurting one team, and then what happens is you go back and you look at it, and, you know, slower motion and slow-mo you look at it with the ticker on you're like okay so this is exactly what happened oh this is why this was called this is the reason the way it was and I think that one of the big things that we tend to forget is that New York's basically got people in the office dedicated to understand and address these types of situations right so there's former players former coaches in that locker room 
or in that room in New York that are basically looking at every single situation and then telling the league, Hey, how is this thing viewed from a coach's perspective? Oh, how do you view this from a certain player's perspective from an offensive player's perspective, from a defensive player's perspective. And so those are ultimately the things that I think the NFL needs to continue utilizing, but it's just like the entire officiating system across the league just needs a complete overhaul to the point where what you're basically doing and saying is, Hey, if there's a wrong call, like there's going to be fines or something for your crew, or if there's a super questionable call, because I think that this game and to wrap it up here, pretty much summed up the NFL's officiating issues. And it's not just exclusive to the bears. We've seen it all over the place, the Jalen Johnson pass interference penalty. I mean, that one looked like Steelers wide receiver, Deontay Johnson pushed off, Jalen Johnson could have possibly argued that it's a offensive pass interference as well. And, but the problem is that usually those types of calls almost always go in favor of the offense and work against the defense. Yeah. I mean, I mean, those ones are tough. I mean, you could definitely say in hindsight that like clearly Dante Johnson looked like he was pushing off a little bit, but like you said, those ones specifically, those usually go against the defense in those type of situations. So that one, I can kind of let it slide, even though, when you're looking at the replays and looking at it in hindsight, like that probably wasn't defensive pass interference, but we're just getting to a point now with the officiating in this league. And this has been something that's been kind of building up uh, throughout the season this year. And really over the past couple of years, really when it comes to the larger picture of this thing, but this is something that, like you said, the NFL, they need to address this. They need to get this fixed. It's ridiculous at this point that they're relying on part-time referees basically is that's what they are they're not full-time employees for the nfl referees are uh they're part-timers and it's 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 just getting to the point where um this is something that they need to address and before you know again i we we should probably just move on here before i i even go i go on on another rant here of it because it's it's got me livid it had me livid in the moment and i just hope it's something where it doesn't impact the the outcome of games going forward because it's certainly impacted. I, I'm not saying the bears lost solely because of the refs in this game, but the poor officiating certainly was a factor in the bears losing this one. And it's something where it has to be fixed because you cannot have that where fans are questioning uh, the validity, validity of the outcomes of these games because of the referees making countless mistakes in favor of one team over the other. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, you say, let's move on from that conversation and go on to uh, the main topic for today's podcast. And that's doing our midseason rookie report cards for the 2021 class for this Bears team here. And let's start with the player that we talked about opening up the podcast here, Justin Fields. Let's get into that right away and how he's done this year. You say, I'll start with you. You know, what were your expectations, first of all, for Justin Fields going into the season as the Bears' first-round pick? You know, not expected to be a starter right out of the gate with Andy Dalton. But, of course, we know that he got eventually forced into the lineup with Andy Dalton going down with an injury. So, first of all, what were your expectations for Justin Fields as a rookie? And 
has he met or exceeded those expectations so far this season for you? Well, I think the expectations going into the season were basic. You're basically talking about Justin coming in as the 11th overall pick, an insanely talented quarterback. I think still quarterback 1B from this draft class, but you could also argue that looking at the way Trevor Jack, I'm sorry, Trevor Lawrence is struggling in Jacksonville, he's had certainly as his fair share of ups or downs that Justin Fields is probably the best rookie quarterback from this class when it's all said and done in about three to four years when we look back. But listen, expectations were pretty simple. Just come in, do your job, and develop, right? And so we've seen that development from Justin Fields. You're talking about a quarterback that is a dual-threat quarterback. We've seen the progression week to week. You're looking at the start of the season when Justin was kind of named the starter week four, week five. It was almost like, okay, every time he was going to go ahead and run, he was going to use a spin move. What is he doing now? He's sliding. We're seeing over the last couple weeks as well that Justin's learning, okay, the deep ball down the field is an extremely valuable asset. That's what he's used to at Ohio State with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave because that passing offense goes from deep to short every single time. But the Bears are, I think, kind of teaching Justin, hey, you need to play short to deep. Those short and those intermediate throws that Justin Fields really wasn't hitting at the start of the season, he's beginning to hit those more and more now. He's realizing and understanding, okay, look, sometimes a five or six yard pass is something so much better than a 35 or 40 yard bomb down the middle of the field. And so I think overall, Justin's kind of exceed my expectations because what was another red flag of his, it was that he needs to learn to play fast. Well, he was playing slow at the start of the season. He was holding on to the ball way too long. And now it seems like the ball is out within two, two and a half seconds of him actually taking the snap. I also think that something a lot of people aren't talking about and we'll touch on this later in the podcast too is that the bears biggest move this season isn't even starting justin fields i think the biggest change came and the biggest move and i just tweeted this as well on twitter was matt Nagy giving up the play calling duties handing them over to bill laser in week four why because laser started kind of running an offense that actually worked for the bears it just wasn't this kind of vertical passing game, this offense that was out there that didn't necessarily even work. So that's, I think, also something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think when you talk about Justin Fields and his development this year is that we're getting to see consistent improvement from him throughout the season. He's had a couple of lows here and there, um, a couple of really tough games. I mean, the Cleveland game, his first start, that was an almost impossible situation for a rookie quarterback going to his first start when you have you know, offensive line playing as bad as it did uh, when you have receivers playing as bad as they did separating against a very talented Brown secondary. And then the coaching aspect of things, not putting Justin Fields into the right positions to succeed as a rookie in his first start. You know, we got to see some of um, you know his, his flaws come to fruition there in that, in that game. And then the Buccaneers game was another low point for him. Obviously the offensive line, you know, came, was an issue again, but you know, Justin Fields definitely did show some flaws that, now, again, we saw it out of college, you know, holding on to the ball too long, taking way too many sacks, uh, not processing things quick enough. Like he's getting to the right decisions, but just not on time all the time. And I think what we've seen from him, especially in the last two weeks, is a quarterback that is making significant strides in the areas that he needs to in order to have a more well-rounded game. Now, obviously, we're still seeing the, you know, athletic ability, the, that special talents when to when things break down, the he can just we're seeing it. He he can he is a weapon as a scrambler on these off script plays. Whether he's you know throwing the ball off platform or using his legs to pick up chunk yardage, 
you know, after the play is broken down and get and get yards as a scrambler, um, he adds a total another dimension to this Bears offense for when things don't work in the play call, you know, it's not a good great play call or things break down. He can save a play by himself because he just has that dude ability to where you know he can just put the team on his back, like I said before, and just go out there and make a play. And we've seen him do that a lot over the last couple of weeks. Um, obviously, look at the 49ers game, that scramble he had where um, you know, they call that bootleg play on fourth and one. He breaks not one, not two, but it seems like he broke tackles against every single 49ers player on the on the defense there to get that touchdown and pretty much willed his way into the end zone on that play. And then you talk about the Steelers game, having you know nerves of steel late against a, a very good Steelers defense to you know, for to come from behind in that one and make the throws that he made late in that game. Um, changing the play call at the line of scrimmage in the fourth quarter in the two minute drill when there's when your team is down and you need a touchdown and you need a play um, to go out there and try to win the game like that is special stuff from Justin Fields and I, I think we're seeing the biggest positive for me is that yes he's had some struggles and he hasn't you know hit the ground running but most rookie quarterbacks don't hit the ground running I think anyone expecting him to be uh, the star stud quarterback right away or I think we're kind of getting way too ahead of themselves with excitement about the player that he is and what we need to see him improve on going into the NFL. And I, I think we're, what we're starting to see here is a guy that, you know, the speed of the NFL game is slowing down. He's starting to, it's starting to click for him mentally here. And I think the sky is the limit here. And as long as that linear trajectory continues and he continues to stack together really positive performances and get better, um, you know, I said it before in the other podcast uh, for the Bear Report, but the Bears, they have a franchise quarterback here, if that's the case, because he's looked like it the last two weeks. He's put this team, he's put this offense on his shoulders and he hasn't withered from it. Um, he hasn't backed down from the challenge here. Um, and he's been put in a really tough spot with, you know, how this offense is and just the way this coaching staff is. But um, I thought he, you know, he's gone through the meat grinder here and he's coming out better for it. Yeah, he really has. And again, you know, outside of fields, I think that when you look at the rest of the Bears rookie class, I mean, there's a lot to look at, right? Because Tevin Jenkins, again, we don't know if he's going to play this season. You certainly hope that he's back. I think with the procedure that he had, Matt Nagy had mentioned something back in training camp about it being like six to eight weeks. Well, it's been nine weeks into the season now going into week 10. So you do wonder, hey, is Tevin Jenkins going to be back? I think you look at two day three guys as instant impact players as well. Larry Borm, Khalil Herbert, offensive tackle and running back. We know what Herbert can do, but I think Larry Borm in his second full start, he played much better than I think a lot of people expected. And he should slot in as the future right tackle for the Bears. I mean, Larry Borm's quick emergence in basically two starts, his willingness to go ahead and basically neutralize TJ Watt. I think it pretty much spells the end of the Jermaine Ifedi era in Chicago, which is totally fine because Jermaine Ifedi wasn't going to return in 2022 anyway, bearing a massive step forward in his development. So he'll be playing somewhere else next season. And then again, you look at these guys like Thomas Graham Jr., Dez Newsome, they really haven't even played a single down their practice squad, guys. And then last but not least, you have Kyrus Tonga, the seventh-round rookie defensive tackle. Yeah, he's looked pretty good as a run-stuffer so far at times this season. I'll say this regarding Daz Newsome as well as Thomas Graham Jr. I mean, they're on the practice squad, but if the losing continues, the Bears just need to promote them to the active roster, cut a vet or two, and just move on to create those two extra roster holes. Because, again, it's just like right now Justin Fields is 
is your future and you're trying to figure out, okay, what do you have that's going to be here? Who are the players that are basically going to be here in three, four years time, right? And so that's something the Bears need to look at. And ultimately, you look at the secondary. I mean, the secondary for this team outside of Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson is so bad to the point where it's like, yeah, you know what? I would not be opposed to seeing a guy like a Thomas Graham Jr. in the slot at this point covering for Duke Shelley or Kendall Wilder. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we're going to kind of get into it here a little bit later because I, I want to circle back to these tackles and kind of talk about the situation there. Um, but certainly, I mean, you want to get these these day three guys. If there's an opportunity to get these guys on the field, like I think the Bears should definitely take it, especially if they're out of things late into the season, like in terms of the playoff race. Like, yeah, absolutely want to get these guys on the field and playing. But let's circle back to the tackle conversation with Tevin Jenkins and Larry Bourne, because I think that's very interesting because, uh, you know, when we go back to the draft in April, I think it was in April. It was either April or early May uh, when this draft took place. And you know, they decided to trade up and get Tevin Jenkins. And then later on, they decided to get Larry Borm as well. Um, I thought it was very interesting because both of those guys, when we look at them, Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borm, both of them were pri- primarily right tackles in college, both projected best to right tackle. And even, you know, a lot of other scouts suggested that both of them might be even better fits at guards because both are kind of those bigger, um, I wouldn't say plotting, but certainly bigger, um, mauler type of offensive lineman as opposed to your quick twitch athletic offensive lineman that you know kind of had that balletic footwork on the edge where they can you know match up with speed rushers and whatnot that, that's not quite what Jenkins and Borm were coming out of college both of them were run blocker you know big physical nasty type of people that Juan Castillo really wanted to emphasize for this offensive line when we look at Tevin Jenkins situation you know they wanted to make him left tackle obviously he has that back issue that he's still working with working through right now you know, it's interesting. We got to see him work out actually um, pregame against the Steelers. We actually saw him working out on the field. There's a couple of videos of that uh, circulating on, on on social media before the game. Um, so I think that's a positive sign. I don't know what the Bears plan is with Tevin Jenkins in terms of, you know, do they still see him as a left tackle? Do they still see him as, you know, a right tackle? Are they going to kick him inside the guard initially to trying to uh, get him, you know, ready to go and, and, I don't know, just give him some reps before, you know, kicking him back out to tackle next year. Like who knows what the plan for Tevin Jenkins is when he gets back, because he, you know, you look at Larry Bourne, like you said, he's played serviceable. I thought at, at right tackle, certainly. I mean, and you know, for Borum, you know, talking about him specifically here, he's been thrown into the fire here. I mean, you think about it, your first start after coming back from an ankle injury, I think it was, is going up against Nick Bosa primarily against the 49ers. You know, Nick Bosa is probably a top 10, pass rusher in the NFL right now, an absolute stud um, for the 49ers. And then the very next week, you got to go up against TJ Watt, who might be the best edge rusher in all football and not named Miles Garrett at this point. So, I mean, Larry Borm is getting tested here right away. And so far, you know, he's passed the test so far. I mean, I don't think, you know, I've gone back and tracked and watched his tape. He hasn't completely impressed me, but for a guy in his situation as a fifth round pick, you know, you take it what he's giving you right now. And you know, it's interesting. I wonder what their plan is going to be when Tevin Jenkins gets back healthy, because how do you handle the situation? Because Larry Borm, he was getting kind of cross-trained to be both a left tackle and a right tackle at this point. Um, so when Tevin Jenkins gets back, you know, what do they do? They, they, do they go with the original plan and have Tevin Jenkins be the left tackle while Larry Borm is the right tackle and just go with that? I, I don't know, because I think Tevin Jenkins, 
I think he is the more important piece. You want to make sure that, you know, whatever you're doing, that he is a guy that is maximized and you get the most out of that draft pick because you have a lot more invested in terms of the trade up and where he was drafted in Tevin Jenkins. I would think you got to do whatever is possible to keep him comfortable and to do what's best for his development first before thinking about Larry Borman, what he can do, because, you know, in my opinion, if Larry Borman can be a quality swing tackle for you or a swing offensive lineman, that's a win for you from a scouting standpoint. So in my opinion, I, I would prefer that they keep Tevin Jenkins at right tackle and Larry Borm try and see if they can make it work at left tackle. If not, you got a really nice swing tackle for you long-term because, you know, I think Tevin Jenkins is more comfortable at right tackle. And I just like to see him be put into a spot where he can maximize his ability going forward when he gets back healthy. So before, I, you know, we talk about Herbert and Tonga more specifically here, uh, you said, what, were, what are your thoughts on that offensive line situation for Jenkins and Borum? Yeah, well, I think the expectations and the hope is that both of those guys are healthy and ready to fully go. I mean, again, I think people forget about Larry Borum, that he had the concussion issues throughout the offseason, and then he had some ankle issues in week one where he knocked him out for a couple games. Jenkins obviously has yet to play a meaningful down, but you get both of these tackles. I mean, you're right. Both of them were traditionally great tackles in college. I think Tevin Jenkins, a lot of people had him projected as a top 20 pick, but then also a lot of people tend to forget that the back issue was a problem in college, and it still is a problem for the Bears who are seemingly trying to navigate this whole thing and figure it out. And then Larry Borms, a player that I think Larry Borms looked pretty decent at both left tackle and right tackle. But right now seeing the way that the Bears want to do things, they are going to keep Jenkins at left tackle and then keep Borm at right tackle. Cause they're going to look at everything and say, okay, well look this, um, Borm at right tackle is actually working out really well for us. Now we just have to figure out what we're going to do with Justin Fields' blind side. And ultimately it's going to be Tevin Jenkins at left tackle. Cause again, this is a team and franchise and front office and coaching staff that just loves for some reason to stick to its guts and, um, you know, just continue to believe in guys that are already on the roster. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a fascinating conversation to have because, I mean, it's it's a good problem to have. You want to have as many quality options at tackle as possible. You just hope that the Bears can get it right here, and maybe, maybe they can add another piece in the free agency or the draft next offseason and kind of, you know, further strengthen that position. But you have to feel good about what you're seeing out of Larry Bourne right now, certainly. And just hopefully that Tevin Jenkins, this back issue, first of all, that the back is not a long-term issue for him going forward here, and that when he eventually gets out there, that, he can be out there and be productive for them moving forward, whether it's at left tackle or right tackle. So before we move on to the final thing here, you said, I'm going to talk about um, Khalil Herbert and Kyrus Tonga real quick, specifically on Herbert here, because, you know, Herbert is a guy who's had a couple of uh, starts here in, in replacement of David Montgomery. And, and one of the things that I've noticed with, with uh, Khalil Herbert as a sixth round pick, mind you, as a sixth round pick, um, really impressed with his ability as an outside zone runner. I think that's been something where, um, we're starting to see 
this run game really start to succeed whoever the running back is. And a lot of that has to do with the blocking scheme, but you know, Herbert is a perfect fit for this outside zone offense. And I think we saw that a couple of times where he had over a hundred yards against the Packers. He had over a hundred yards uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, even though they are, they are a great uh, run defense there in Tampa Bay an historic run defense, even, um, you, you know, he, he just has an ability to be, he, he knows how to read the holes. He knows how to explode through the holes and he's got enough juice at the second level to get get chunk yardage, you know, once he gets through to the second level. And, you know, it's one of those things where this is how you should be investing in your running backs. And I, and I know I, I get a lot of flack for this on Twitter when I when I bring this up, but I th- always thought that, you know, trading up for, for Dave Montgomery, while I love the player Dave Montgomery, the process to move up and get Dave Montgomery was very poor from Ryan Pace because you just don't invest that much in running backs. You don't trade up for them on day two of the draft, you, you know, if if you think he's good, hopefully he falls to you. If not, you can just find a guy in the fifth, sixth or seventh round that can give you probably 90 to 95% of that production. That's just the way the running back position works. So the way you do it here is you get a guy like Khalil Herbert in the sixth round who fits your scheme, um, who has a nice skill set, maybe a little bit of versatility as a kickoff returner. And you just keep on rotating through these guys and um, Khalil Herbert. He's been very impressive. Um, you know, final thoughts on Herbert and of course, Tonga, I haven't mentioned him yet, but Tonga, I've, I've liked what I've seen so far from him as a rotational nose tackle, but you know, final thoughts on these rookies you say before we move on to uh, our last topic here. Yeah. I would just say the final thoughts are that I think that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you have Herbert Borum fields that are looking like instant impact rookies and that I think this rookie class is going to kind of begin to lay the foundation, but then also just continue to solidify uh, the building that's being built because you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, anything and everything that we do needs to revolve around Justin Fields. Well, Khalil Herbert is a really good number two running back that on most other NFL teams would be running back number one. You look at Larry Borum. I mean, again, a player that Matt Nagy admitted there were fifth round grades on, or I'm sorry, second round grades on that slipped all the way to the fifth round. And so Herbert Montgomery Fields are clearly all instant impact rookies. And these are things that you want to see continue because the Bears are going to need to build their identity. I mean, there's not even even a chance that David Montgomery is here in two or three years, right? But you know who could possibly be on the roster because it's going to be the end of their contract year? It's these guys like Khalil Herbert, right? So for the Bears, I mean, it's just about getting the younger guys involved as much as possible because you never know when a situation could pop up that you're going to need them. Yeah, we talked about when this this draft class came about. Uh, you know, we were really high on this draft class when they first initially had this draft earlier in April. And so far, I think there's a lot of positivity here. They've been – we've seen a lot of really good early returns from Herbert, from Borum, from obviously Justin Fields. If Justin Fields is the guy, you have an A-plus draft, obviously. But, you know, the jury is still out on, on Jenkins. But overall, a lot of positive stuff from this rookie class. And that's something to look forward here as we get to the second half of the season here. And speaking of the second half of the season, the Bears are going into their bye week here um, now that – you know, we're at this point in the year where the bears are three and six, they're going into the bye. Um, certainly they need to, if they have, if they want to have any chance here making the playoff, they have to regroup and they have to change some things here in order to make a playoff push. So you said, I'm going to go to your, you here, man, our last thing for this podcast, what is one thing that you want to see the bears do to change after this bye week here going to the second half of this season? 
Well, what are you going to do to stabilize the offensive line? And the reason I bring it up is because the Bears have not had a rock-solid offensive line since Matt Nagy's first year, okay? I'm sorry, but it's been four years. Kyle Long's been retired for about two years now, and the Bears are still seemingly – they can't find the guy that's going to be the player that makes the offensive line gel together, okay? It's not Cody White here. Cody's a phenomenal leader, but he's not the caliber of a leader or player that's – Kyle Long was. Now, I think what has to happen with the offensive line is this, is that you keep Borm at right tackle, right guard, you continue to have a guy like James Daniels there, okay, or even Alex Bars. Center, you need to bend Sam Mustafer, who, again, I was high on Sam Mustafer going into the year, but it's very clear he hasn't been able to get the job done. There's such a lack of strength. There's such a lack of um, anchor, and then, unfortunately, Mustafer just can't communicate and call out what he's seeing from the defense to help the rest of the offensive linemen out. And then, so I think what happens is you need to bring in someone that is going to go ahead and that knows the system, knows how to play center. Well, who is that guy? That ultimately I think is going to be Cody White here. I get Cody White here is better at guard than center. But then again, the Bears also have to understand, hey, you know what? This has worked in the past, so we need to keep this moving. Yeah, certainly the offensive line has always been a question. You know, we knew this was going to be a tough spot for them going into the year. That's certainly been the case. You know, I, I definitely think that if, if they can shuffle things around here, maybe Tevin Jenkins gets back healthy during the bye week, that maybe they can do a couple of different things here to kind of improve that unit because it, it's sorely needed. And Justin Fields is a quarterback that needs protection for his play style. And speaking of Justin Fields, that kind of leads into the change that I want to see after the bye week. The change that I want to see personally is I want to see the Bears open up the offense more. We're starting to see Justin Fields get it more. We're starting to see things click for him. You know, his processing speed has been faster. His decision-making has been better. Uh, We're seeing far less rookie mistakes now, especially over the last two weeks. Um, And, you know, he's just getting better and better as the season progresses. And, you know, one of my biggest gripes of this Bears offense is that they continue to be stubborn trying to run the ball in inopportune situations and just trying to run the ball too much when that just isn't efficient. And you look at all the second and long runs this team has. The Bears lead the NFL. I think actually, well, it's either them or the Jacksonville Jaguars, but they're right up there in terms of early down run percentage. And that is not a statistic that unless you're the Tennessee Titans and you have Derrick Henry, who is a just an, a, a mutant, an alien, whatever you want to call him. He is a freakish NFL talent. There are not many guys like Derrick Henry that can carry an NFL offense as a running back like that. So if you don't have that guy, you know, you do not want to be a team that's leaning on the run as much as the Bears are. And where we see this come, where this creates problems is where you run the ball way too much on early downs, especially on second and longs. I mentioned this on the Bearport podcast, but my goodness, they need to stop with the second and long runs because it is just, it is guaranteeing that you are putting, you are just basically playing for third down. And what it does more often than not is that it just puts Justin Fields and this offensive line into terrible situations where you're in third and long situations. It's you have to pass it. The pass rush is going to tee off then on your offensive line. Justin Fields is not going to have the time to go through his reads and go through his progressions. It's just, it's just making things way harder than it has to be. And I just like to see them open up the offense more, pass it more on early downs. Let Justin Fields, you know, run the show here on offense. Don't try to hide him anymore. Don't try to uh, make things easy for him. Don't try to, you know, keep him on a pitch count. You drafted this guy and traded up for him in the first round for a reason. He's a special talent. He's proven that time and time again, especially over the last couple of weeks. 
Let this thing grow. Let Justin Fields be the guy going forward and trust that if he has some rough patches here, if he has some struggles, that he has a mental fortitude to get through them and continue to improve because Justin Fields has gone through a lot of tough, tough adversity here in his rookie season. It has not been a, a, a smooth sailing ride for him. It's been a rough ride for Justin Fields. I think he has the mental makeup to where he's not going to, you know, get down and lose his confidence after making mistakes or if he gets beat up a little bit. I think he's going to push through any adversity that he has going forward. So let's open up a little bit. Let's get all these pass catchers involved in the passing game, whether it's Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, David Montgomery, um, all these guys here. And let's see what Justin Fields can do with the weapons provided to him in this offense. All right. That, I think that's a good point to uh, wrap it up here. You say it as we, um, yeah, like as we wrap it up here to conclude this podcast. So um, I want to thank all of our listeners here for tuning in on all podcasting plat- platforms here for the Bear Report podcast and for Picks for Pace. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace, uh, where we will doing we'll be doing a bunch of updates on Saturdays and on college football Saturdays when all the college football games are going, as well as just for all of our content during the week and things of that nature. You say work on our listeners, follow you on Twitter, follow you on social media, and find your work. Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Usaid Koshal. So it's just my first and last name. Check out my work on the Bear Report. I have articles dropping uh, weekly. I'm always on the forums, too, interacting back and forth with all our subscribers as well to make sure you guys have the best Bears experience possible. And, yeah, you know, looking forward to just seeing everyone out there and interacting on the boards. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to give Usaid a follow and read some of his stuff. Always good stuff on the Bear Report. Uh, you can find find me on Twitter at Freeman 25 Follow me there to, uh, you know, get more of my contents and just get more of my thoughts on the Bears and football in general. Uh, you can find my work on the Bear Report. I am currently um, in the midst of putting together uh, my next track in the trenches, or my next uh, in, in my series of track in the trenches, uh, breaking down this Pittsburgh Steelers game. If you're into offensive line play, defensive line pay, play, uh, statistics, all that type of stuff, definitely check that out. Also, make sure to check out the Bear Report on YouTube where we do some film breakdowns on there. I'm hoping to have a couple of videos up during the bye week area or during the bye week period uh, where I can break down some some film of Justin Fields as well as this defense and how they're doing so far this season. All right, that's going to be a wrap here for us at the Picks for Pace podcast. Once again, thank you to all of our listeners. Everyone have a safe and healthy weekend here and enjoy the bye week Bears fans. Uh, it's going to be a little bit less stressful with the Bears playing, but we'll be seeing you guys next week, of course, to talk about some college football as well. So have a great and safe weekend, everybody.